It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. Each and every week, we talk about sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We've got a gambling segment, and then some questions for me, where you can ask me, ask Skinny anything. It's presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. Rick, how we doing? Great. We got week one out of the way. Both of us did well during the betting segment and in real life betting, I believe. And uh, the NFL is here for week one. So what could be better than that? Yeah, we didn't do quite as well as the guy that uh, I saw a tweet from Darren Ravel on Sunday, I guess it was, or maybe it was Monday. The guy who needed the under in the Ole Miss Louisville game to hit a $10.14 team parlay for 80 grand. And he had to sweat it a little bit at the end because all of a sudden they started pouring on points at the end, but he did, he did hit. So congratulations to whoever you are for your $10, 14 teamer. Uh, That's pretty good. Good way to start the season. That would have been a heck of a sweat in that final game too. No question. Uh, I, I, I told somebody, there's no way you couldn't have gone and bet 25 grand on the over. You you had to hedge (laughs) it a little bit, right? That's a definite hedge situation. I'm not a hedge guy, but you're in that type of situation. I think you got to do it. I mean, even, even a grand, if you want to hedge it, just, just, Get something. So you can walk away with something. Yeah, right. I, I got to get something out of that. That's right. Well, let's jump right into some NFL talk. We've got our NFL season preview. The season kicks off this week, and the Bengals will get it underway Sunday at 1 p.m. at Paul Brown Stadium against the Vikings. I have a handful of questions for you to preview this NFL season. We'll start with, if you could pick one position group on this Bengals team to improve from last year, what would you choose? That I think is going to or that needs to? Know that if, if you could decide this position group will definitely be better this year, which one would you choose? What would be best for the Bengals? Uh, it has to be offensive line, right? I mean, I mean, that just that's where it all starts. It starts for us having uh, not to hold our breath for Joe Burrow. It, it you know, would help the running game. And, and I do think it has a chance to be better. And, and I've, I've heard. No, I think I've said all along, I thought Quentin Spain and Xavier Suofilo would be the starting guards. And maybe it was by default. I don't know. I mean, I, they obviously wanted Jackson Carmen to do it. He didn't do it. But but I, I did note this in a column I wrote this week, and I, I said it on another podcast, too. You know, those two guys started the last four games at guard together. Quentin Spain, left guard, and Xavier Suofilo at right guard. And they did not have Jonah Williams on that line in which they started the last four games. And they had Bobby Hart as the right tackle in those last four games. Guess how many sacks the Bengals gave up over the last four games last year? One? No, four. But that's not a bad one number. Per game. It's an average of one, one a game. Per game, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, listen. I know it's not sexy. I know it's not exciting. But those guys won the job. Um, you've got Jonah Williams back, and and as noted, it wasn't a lot of snaps, but he did not allow a single pressure in the preseason. It seems like he's if he stays healthy. This is kind of the first off season he's had to stay healthy, um, and gotten through an off season. Um, you know, you expect him to take a step forward. We know what Trey Hopkins is, is as a center and you're hoping Riley reef's got a little bit left in the tank. So I, I, not only do I think that's the one that has to get better. I I do think it will be better significantly. I don't know about that, but I do think it'll be better. Well, you're right about which position group needs to be better. It's definitely the offensive line for me. And the biggest thing from my perspective is you can make an argument probably for linebacker or maybe even defensive line to get some pressure on the quarterback this year, but this team is built to compete with its offense. I'm not saying win. They're not necessarily built to win with their offense, but they are going to stay in games if their offense is good. I don't think their defense is to that level yet. I know you're optimistic about them improving. I am. I, I think I think that's the unit that's going to take a huge step forward. I really believe it. Well, and I, I hope you're right about that, but I I would be happy with this team's progress this year if we get into the year and we say, man, this offense looks good. 
Burrow's not getting killed. They're able to protect for him, and this offense is able to put up some points. If they're averaging, you know, 38, 40 points a game, and they're still finishing 6, 11, 7, and 10, I'll be fine with that. I'll see that as progress in the right direction because I think they're not too far away on the defensive side that you had a few more pieces and you might be right where you need to be. So I'm with you. Offensive line, and I don't even think it's close. To me, it's it's a no-brainer. What would your biggest concern about this team be? Uh, the offensive line. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's it's more the depth of it, really, to be honest with you. Um, I, I, like I said, I, I'm okay with the starting five. I really am. But keep in mind, the two backup guards and the backup center right now, and that's Trey Hill, Jackson Carmen, and Deontay Smith, Trey Hill being the center. I'm going to ask you to guess. You're going to know the answer to it. How many, guess how many NFL snaps they've taken in a game? See zero. Real game. Zero. Right. So suddenly you're really thin on experience there. At tackle, Isaiah Prince has played all of 70 NFL snaps, and you got Fred Johnson, and Fred is Fred's okay. Fred's, you know, played in some games, and they've won games that Fred's played in. So I think I'm okay with him in the short term if he has to start a game or two here and there, and I think he will. I don't think Riley Reef and Jonah Williams are, uh, as I've said before, going through all 34 games together combined, starting all 34. So, I, you know, Fred's going to have to play. But that's where you're really razor thin on experience, man. You are, you're booking on Jackson Carmen, you know, the, the minute you have to plug him in, there is is going to show you something that you expected him to show you to, to start um they obviously thought enough of trey hill to let billy price go i, I thought i still think that was an interesting move to me and because billy was in the last year of a rookie deal he was not coming back next year you kind of already had him on the books so th- they think one of two things they don't think much of billy price a and b they must think enough of trey hill uh that if something happens to trey hopkins who's coming off and let's not forget a major knee injury himself and knee surgery too, that they can put him in there and, and, and go. Um, I, I'm a little surprised they didn't sign a veteran uh, for that reason and maybe park Trey Hill on the practice squad. So yeah, that, that's what concerns me. And, and let's face it. I, I can't even think of an offensive line. that's going to go through in, th- in this case, 85 combined starts without one single guy missing. Right. So these guys are going to have to play and uh, you're just crossing your fingers that they're ready to play when they get the opportunity. I, I but we've not seen it. That's probably the right answer, offensive line again. I've got two other concerns from my perspective that I want to bring up. The first one is probably irrational is the right way to put it. I don't necessarily think this is a problem, but I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a part of me that's a little terrified that Joe Burrow isn't the guy we all believe he is. Like I I think he is for sure, but there's this little part of me that's like, what if he can't come back from the energy injury or what if he's not quite as good as we all think he is? Like if we all of a sudden find that out this year, that would really kind of ruin everything for Bengals fans at this point. Yeah. So there's like a little I, I, irrational I wrote, fear there for me. No, I, I just wrote a piece. It just went up this morning. I don't know if it's been edited yet or even up, but I wrote it this morning about Joe Burrow and kind of, uh, you know, putting the knee injury behind him and now taking the next step in the evolution of being an NFL quarterback. He talked about it yesterday about being more comfortable uh, seeing things that he should have checked into last year and, and feeling like he's got a little bit more freedom to, to, to do that more often to check and, and, and all of those things. And I wrote a line and, and when I wrote, it, I thought somebody's going to get pissed at this line, but it is true. And the line was after a good, but not great rookie season. And it was good, but it wasn't great. I mean, right. he finished 25th in the league in passer rating. And I, I know people can go oh, passer rating is a stupid stat. Well, everybody's measured by it. And if you ever notice, most of the top quarterbacks are up there by the top of it. So it must mean something. But he ranked 25th in passer rating. He ranked 25th in yards per pass attempt, which a lot of times is tied to passer rating. 
he was on pace to, to throw only 20 touchdowns. Um, now he didn't throw many interceptions. He did a good job with that. He was on a pace to set a team record for passing yards, but some of that was they were throwing him 40, 45 times a game. And, and let's face it. The one thing he didn't do last year, and I still haven't seen it very much in camp is consistently hit the deep ball. So yeah, he needs to take that next step in the evolution of being a quarterback. And he has to take that next step while coming back from a major knee injury. I, I, I think you're right in what you say you're rational, but at the same time, right or wrong, Justin Herbert was a better player last year. He, right. I mean, he simply was. Um, that doesn't mean I don't believe Joe Burrow is not going to be great. And and his teammates still very much believe in him. And, and I still see a quality quarterback there. But yeah, I, last year was a good, but not great rookie year. And that's fine. You know, not every rookie comes in and is great. Hell, very few of them are even good. So to, to have a rookie quarterback come in and be good and have no real training camp or no preseason games to speak of and no offseason. Yeah, I, I was more than satisfied. Don't get me wrong. I think you are too. I think you're in this camp. I was more than satisfied with Joe Burrow's performance. But you also need quarterbacks really to be great to get you to where you want to eventually go, which is the Super Bowl. And that's the next steps he's got to take is get better at some of these things we talked about, downfield throws. Um, you know, uh, you know he, he does a great job of extending plays. Hopefully he still isn't, you know, he's not gun shy to do that, that he still is capable of doing that despite the knee situation. So, yeah, I, I think I, I think what you say is fair. It's, it's a little irrational, but it's fair. We talk about him like he's a superstar already, and right, no, you're I, right, you're right, you know, and I and I get it, like he he looks awesome, and I'm totally excited about him. But there is this part of me that's like, what if he's not that guy? Like, what if he doesn't get any better? Because he needs to make another significant jump. He's not there yet. I, you know, I I said this too, and I I I know I got scoffed at for it. I said, you know what? If if you were to tell me that Joe Burrow was going to be as good as Andy Dalton, I'd still take it. I'm still going to take it. Oh my God, yeah, I. I don't even want to dive deeper into that topic just because of how mad people I, might I, get I, at us. I, 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 right, I understand it. But, <laughs> I mean, guy, the guy was a playoff quarterback, right or wrong. I now he, That's I wanted to be, I wanted to be better than Andy Dalton. But but if you're going to tell me right now he's going to be as good as Andy Dalton, I'll take it. I'm well, gonna the thing about him it. being as good as Andy Dalton is it means he's probably better than Andy Dalton because he has so much more physical right. ability that, and, that, and, and tools right. and, that, and arms, yes, talent, yes. and all that. Yeah. So it's like if he can yeah. be, you know, cerebrally the guy Andy Dalton was. He's probably better than him, you know? No, so, that's right. Yeah. Um, the, the other one, and, and it's a much more legit concern, is let's say the offense is pretty good. The the They can score points, kind of what they showed when Burrow was at his best last year before the injury. My, my concern at that point becomes the run defense. I, last year, 5.1 yards per attempt, 31st in the NFL against the run. You know, I know you like Logan Wilson. I think he's I going to be solid. I think I'm, the defensive right line has gotten... Matter of fact. I think the defensive line has gotten better. I could still see that unit just getting dominated and teams being able to run right up the middle on third and short when they need it or start drives off with four-yard runs, five-yard runs that put them ahead of schedule in terms of their downs. So I think run defense is still a major concern and a legit one for this team. No, it, it, it is until they prove otherwise, but I think they'll prove otherwise. I think you've got... You've got so many tools in the toolbox. I mean, I love when they go to that five-man front where they put uh, Josh Tupo on the nose and then DJ Reader on one side, Larry Ogunjobi on the other, and then they stand up Sam Sam Hubbard and, and Trey Hendrickson. I, I love that look. I think that's a hard look to run against. And I do think Logan Wilson's going to be really, really good. Yeah, they obviously saw enough, and, and I think we're going to talk to Luana Rimmick today, and I'm looking forward to talking to him about this. They obviously saw enough that they decided that a guy who started all 16 games for them last year and was their third leading tackler was expendable. And he probably was. And that's Josh Bynes. Let's, I mean, he was just a guy and I'm not going to argue that he was anything more than just a guy, 
but he still was a guy who started all 16 games for you, still finished third on the team in tackles, and you still let him walk because apparently you think enough of Logan Wilson to give him the hel- the, the middle linebacker, Mike, the, the helmet uh, sticker, and make him the middle linebacker and determine you're the guy. And in camp, to me, he showed he was absolutely the guy, and that's where I think that this team is going to be. But I think you're going to see a linebacker who not only makes makes tackles, but he makes them, you know, at – after two yard gains and not five yard gains. I, I think Logan Wilson has a chance to have something that the Bengals haven't had in a long time. And that is a playmaker at linebacker. They have not. Fontes Burfecht was that at times. The problem for Fontes Burfecht obviously was he couldn't stay on the field either through his own stupidity or own recklessness and getting concussed 99% of the time. Um, but, but I think Logan Wilson has a chance to not just be, it's one thing for a guy to have a bunch of tackles, right? It's another thing to have a bunch of impactful tackles and make plays and intercept some passes and, and force some fumbles. I think he's that guy. I really believe it. Well, and Vontez Perfect was making plays, but he was doing so erratically, just going off his own instincts right, and talent. Right. Logan Wilson's in the right spot, doing the right things, the things you need him to be doing, and you can rely on him. Vontez Perfect wasn't a guy that his teammates could really rely on. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's certainly a different thing there. And, and if he could become that type of playmaker, it would be huge for this defense because you're absolutely right. They have not had that type of guy. All right, let's go ahead and play the schedule game real quick here. Sure. Um, we want to figure out what record we think the Bengals will finish with, but we'll do it by going down in order because sometimes it's it's easy. You know, it's easy to look at a team and say, "Oh, they're going to finish six and eleven, seven and ten, whatever." But it's a little bit different when you actually say which games they're going to win and lose. So we'll start. And I, and, yeah, and I will tell you, I wrote a column on this, on this, and a bunch of other things, making a bunch of predictions. And, and I, I put some of these games, and I'll probably do that as you go down these games, Rick. I put games in the likely win category, the likely loss category, and then what I call swing games. So I'll, I'll kind of address those as you go, is what I think those games are. Yeah, and I think you know a lot of there are a lot of swing games with this yes. team. I mean, anytime yes. you're talking about a team as bad as the Bengals are, you're you can't really put any of them in the definite win category for the most part. So uh, right away, we get off to that start with the first several games, the Vikings opener. What do you have them doing? This first month is, is just crucial because you're going to start off with two swing games in a row, that game and at Chicago to me are two swing games. I think the first four, really you've got at Steelers yeah, after I, that, I, and Jaguars at home, see, but it's, so that's funny. I've got the at Steelers game as a loss until they can go to Pittsburgh and win and, and prove otherwise. I can't have them winning there. And I've got the Jacksonville game as a win. They're going to be favored in that game. They should win that game. Um, so I, I've got that one in the likely win category, but I, I've got the other two in the, in the, in the swing game. And that means you could be anywhere from three and one to one in three. And you're right. If you do get upset possibly by Jacksonville, good God, the nuclear option of and four. I, I don't want to face that as a journalist. I just, I don't want to face that. I've got the Bengals losing against the Vikings, winning the bear. So I'm going loss, win, loss, win yeah, over those okay. first games. Right. I think they're all pretty much toss ups. Um, you're going lost win on Steelers and Jaguars. You're not giving us a prediction on Vikings and Bears, or uh, I, I think I'll go with you. I'll go win loss, win loss Vikings, and then Bears. Yep, and then okay. and then I've got like I said, I've got Pittsburgh as a likely loss, Jacksonville as a likely win. So I've got them win. two and two at that point. And then we've got the Packers game at home, but I'm assuming we both have that as a loss. Yeah, I got that in the likely loss category. So yes, two and three. All right, and then at Detroit Lions, I've got them as a win there. I got that as one of my few likely. I've only got four likely wins, by the way. That's one of the four. So we're back to three and three. All right, now at Ravens. Uh, That's a loss, three and four. Same here. At Jets. Uh, I got that as a likely win. So uh, we're up to three likely wins here. So, so far, so good. It looks like, okay, four and four here. We're getting, we're, we're off to a pretty good start. And then we've got the uh, November 7th game at home against the Browns. I got that as a swing game. Um, I'm going to put it in the loss category for now, make it four and five. 
Yeah, I went loss here too. That brings us to the bye week, which will be November 14th. Uh, and then November 21st, they go to Las Vegas to play the Raiders. I got that in the swing game category too. And, and part of the reason is, is I, John Gruden just can't seem to get that team over the hump. I think they're talented and they have the potential to be playing well by then. They also have the, the potential to be a nuclear option by then. So I've got it in the swing game category. So I guess for now, I'm going to put that. I'm going to put that as a loss to make it four and six. I've got it as a loss as well. This is actually a stretch that I was looking at where you, we talked a lot about the beginning of the schedule. It's a little easier. The end of the schedule, it's backloaded. It's really difficult. This stretch of game starting right here after the bye week, you got at Raiders, you got the Steelers at home, you got the Chargers at home. Those three games, I think that's a really key stretch for this yeah, team because no. those are all toss-up games again. And after that, it gets really difficult. So if you go 0-3 in that stretch or – even one and two wouldn't be ideal, probably. You could be looking at, I mean, eight losses in a row after no, the No, right. That, that, that's correct. Yeah, that's correct. So I think these uh, these are going to be really, really key games here. So I got them losing at Las Vegas. And then the following week, November 28th, they will play the Steelers at home. What do you I have got that? that? I've got that as a likely win. I don't think Pittsburgh's going to be any good. I really don't. Um, so then you can argue, why do you have them losing at Pittsburgh? It's just early enough in the year. But I think by then, there's just going to be so much tread on Big Ben. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball that they're going to have to go back to relying on that old man to carry the offense. And it was all looking good for a while last year. Don't forget that team lost six of their last seven games, including a playoff game after going 11-0 because everybody kind of figured out, oh, Ben can't push it down the field like he used to. They're playing in a phone booth. Let's just stack everything up and stop them. And they did, and they weren't very good. So I'm going to give that one as a likely win for the Bengals. So I'm at five and six now at this point. Yeah, I've got them as a win there as well. And that brings us to the home game against the Chargers to start December off. This is another toss-up game, but a winnable one. Yeah, I've got that as a swing game too, but with it being at home, Chargers coming east, Bengals kind of owe them for the way that they lost that, that opener last year. I'm going to think if they beat Pittsburgh at home, follow it up with the Chargers, I'll, I'll give them a win there to go to 6-6. Six and six. I've got them as a loss there. I, I expect the Chargers to be a decent amount better this year, quite honestly. Oh, I, do, I, I do too. In fact, I think I've got, in fact, my, my picks, I've got them as a, as a, uh, as a wild card playoff team. Yeah, I, I could see that. But even wild card playoff teams stumble on the road at times. And I think they stumble in this one. That's right. December 12th, the 49ers at home again. What do you have? There? L six yeah. and seven. Yeah. Likely lost there. December 19th. They go to Denver to play the Broncos. In the swing game category for me, because do we know what Drew Locke's going to be? Do, no. do we? We don't. But I'm going to go lost there. Again, going on the road. Um, I think Denver is better. I think they'll compete for a wild card spot, believe it or not. But uh, yeah, even though I've got it as a swing game, I think the Bengals lose that. So we're six and eight. This is one I actually have as a win, believe it or not. Okay. So uh, I, I actually was going on exactly what you were saying. The quarterback situation with Denver. I just don't like that team that much in general. Um, I think that's one where the Bengals go on the road and get a big win. And it might be one of the few here in this late stretch. So uh, it'll be a big game for them. Ravens at home on December 26th, day after Christmas. Um, I'm going to go win there. Um, really? Yeah, and just, just being at home. I think the one thing that they're going to do the, do a pretty good job of this year is, is winning games at home. I, I do. Um, so I'm going to give them that win. That gets me to seven and eight. With, uh, with two more L's to come. Fire away. I've got uh, a loss there to the Ravens, and then they've got the Chiefs at home and the Browns on the road to wrap up the season. You said you've got both of those as losses. I do, yes. too. Yeah. So you have them finishing with two losses. I've got them finishing with three losses to end the season there in a row. Um, 
I've got him at six and eleven overall. Where I got him at? seven. I got him seven and ten. Seven and ten. I mean, that seems to be where a lot of people are coming out with this team. And honestly, I feel good about that as a fan. Yeah. In fact, the, the, the synopsis I wrote after predicting, you know, the likely wins, likely losses, swing games was that the Bengals could go anywhere from four and 13 to 10 and seven. They really could. Um, you know, you, you drop some of those, you drop all those swing games and suddenly you're looking at four and 13 and that's barring not getting upset by one of my four likely wins. And yeah, probably one of the games I've got listed as a likely loss, you pull an upset. So, yeah, I, I think it really could be anywhere from four and 13 to, to 10 and seven, because there are a lot of unknowns, both both good and bad. Definitely. You made a bunch of Bengals and NFL predictions on local 12.com that you mentioned. People can go look at that on the website now. But how do you see the AFC North playing out and who do you have as your Super Bowl matchup and winner? Yeah, I, I think the Browns are really good. Um, and, you know, you can argue, well, they've been hyped before. Yeah. And they finally came through last year and they've got a better roster this year, in my opinion. I think they know what they are. Um, it's a lot of Nick Chubb. I think we'll see a lot of Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, maybe even a little less Baker sprinkled in, but that, that's a good football team. So I got them at 12 and five. I got the Ravens at 10 and seven. And then I got the Bengals and Steelers both finishing seven and 10. I just don't think Pittsburgh's very good, to be quite frank. Um, Super Bowl wise, you know, usually there's an axiom of, of, what is it, like half the playoff teams in a given year did not make the playoffs the year before. Yeah. But I'll be honest, man, picking division champs, I went with the four that won last year, well, three of the four that won last year, and Cleveland was a playoff team in Buffalo, Cleveland, Tennessee, Kansas City. And then wildcard teams, I've got Baltimore, Miami, and the Chargers. And in the NFC, the division champs are pretty much a carbon copy, except for the West, Washington in the East, Green Bay, Tampa, and then I got the Rams. And my wildcard teams I've got are Minnesota, New Orleans, and San Francisco. The two conference champs I've got are Green Bay and Kansas City, and I think Kansas City wins the Super Bowl. I mean, you're, you're talking about a team that, that literally knew exactly what it needed to attack in the offseason, which was their offensive line with pretty much everybody else coming back intact. And, and you know, arguably to me in the last three years, this is the best team that Kansas City has put together. And what did they do in the previous two years? Won a Super Bowl and lost a Super Bowl. So I'm thinking they're going back to the Super Bowl again and, and, and going to win one. I, I think they're going to have – they got a shot for a 15 and two ish type regular season. They're going to get home field advantage. That means something. And I think they, they marched the super bowl and this time get the job done. Well, I think you're right on with that. I've got Kansas city winning it all as well. I've got it. Kansas city playing the Rams in the super bowl. Um, I just don't believe enough in Matt Stafford for that. And maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. I don't love Matt Stafford, but he can put up some big numbers. And with that defensive front, that's so scary. I, yep. I, I give them a chance for sure, and I, I do like that that move for them. The team I really like that I almost put in the Super Bowl and had them winning it all is the Buffalo Bills. I, no I thought they were yeah. pretty close last year. I love Josh Allen. I think he's about as close to Aaron Rodgers as you can find in terms of uh, talent, and – uh, I would I would take my chances with the Bills too. So yeah, I would too. No, I, I in fact, if it w- works out from a seating perspective, I can clearly see it being Buffalo, Kansas City. Unfortunately, it's a matter of who's got the home field. If Buffalo has to go to Kansas City, Kansas City wins and wins the Super Bowl, like I predict. If somehow they stumble enough in the regular season and Buffalo marches through it and gets home field, then come that playoff time, I might lean towards the Bills. But for right now, I do think Buffalo is the close second to it. Um, and I honestly think whichever one of those two teams wins out of the AFC wins it. So, um, you know, to me, it's, e- it's either Buffalo or Kansas City to win the Super Bowl. All right, sounds good. Let's switch gears here over to the college football side of things where we're headed into week number two. But let's get into some week one overreactions first with the local teams, right? Ohio sure. State trailed Minnesota 14 to 10 at halftime in the rain. 
but used a 21-7 advantage in the third quarter to turn the game around on the way to a 45-31 win last Thursday. The two big talking points in the game were the play of new quarterback C.J. Stroud and the overall defensive performance, something the Buckeyes struggled with last season. Stroud struggled in the first half as he went 8-14 of for 58 yards with an interception, but redeemed himself in the second half with four touchdown passes. The Buckeyes' defense gave up 408 yards and allowed the Gophers to convert a bunch of third downs. Skinny, my question is, should Ohio State fans be concerned about C.J. Stroud or the defense holding them back from competing for a national championship this year? Neither. Um, I think this offense averages 50 points a game the rest of the year. I really do. I think they're almost unstoppable offensively. Um, I think some of that first half was him just feeling his way through it, did throw the interception, and then all of a sudden, boom, light bulb went off. And they, they've they just got so many weapons and so many big play threats. You know, they he, he threw a swing pass out of the backfield. Well, it, it, you know, it was one of those here, you take it, go, and guy takes it to the house. I mean, they've got so many home run hitters. And defensively, I mean, let's not forget, they were missing a couple of guys, starters due to injuries. They had to play a true freshman corner, I believe, to start the game. Yeah, um, yeah you know, there, there were some things that, yeah, it, it's a little scary if, if you were playing, um, you know, in, a, in the national semifinals with that. But first game of the year on the road, no, I they, they did nothing to dispel the fact that I still think that they're they're marching their way towards an undefeated season and, and, and going to a, a, a going to battle for the national championship. Yeah, and that's the thing about this Ohio State team when you talk about them, right? I mean, we're not talking about, is there a chance they're not going to win the Big Ten? I mean, the, the conversation for Ohio State is, do they have enough to win it all, basically? I mean, that's how you have to look at college football at this point when you talk yeah, about no, right. Alabama, right. Clemson, Ohio State. That's really the only conversation you have. And so, obviously, I mean, we're overreacting to anything here after one game. C.J. Stroud, I wouldn't be concerned yet, especially the way he played in the second half. But I, I could understand if after watching the first half, if you're like, OK, hey, we got three more talented guys behind him. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing what those guys have if he really continues to struggle. But at the same time, I think he missed some throws in the first half for sure. He missed some reads in the RPO stuff for sure. And then the second half. He was great, and I, I guess I don't know how much I put on him versus how much I put on Ryan Day just being fantastic at drawing up mismatches in the passing game. Because- no, I think I, I, I think it's I think it's all of it. I mean, I, I I think it's probably irrational to think C.J. Stroud was going to take them down to, for touchdowns every time he touched the ball, especially in his first start. <laughs> right. Or I think it's more he got settled in, made a mistake, and then all of a sudden light bulb went off. And yeah, I do think some of that is Ryan Day schematically, but I, I just think this is. The, they showed in that second half when they tallied five touchdowns that, that when they've got it going, you're not stopping them. You're just, and I'm telling you, I don't think Minnesota's a bad team. So no, I mean, I thought Minnesota I, looked good. I thought they did too. In fact, I think them this week laying 20 against Miami of Ohio is a mortal lock to be Total quite gift. frank. Yep. Um, no, I, I think this Ohio State offense is going to put up 50 on just about everybody it wants to. The one thing I would remind people about CJ Stroud or, or say to look out for is I think especially in this Ohio state offense, we've seen their quarterbacks tend to get in a rhythm when they implement the running game a little bit more. And, and he's a guy that can do that for sure. They didn't really use any quarterback designed runs in the game against Minnesota at all. So I think they're probably holding that back a little bit, maybe for Oregon this week. And once they start implementing that side of his abilities into the, the game plan, I think that'll really help him settle down and get in rhythm even more and unlock a few more things for him there. So I'm still really high on CJ Stroud. And I think there's, there's more upside there than what we saw in the first game. The, the starting defensive backs thing was absolutely a huge issue for them. I don't think that's a long-term concern, but this defense wasn't very good last year. 
They gave up over 400 yards a game. So I think that is a slight concern for them. They need the defense to be improved from last year to, to win it all. I mean, we saw what Clemson did to them. And uh, the, the one thing that I would wonder is they, they had so many subs in that game against Minnesota. And part of that was because of injuries, but part of it, I wonder if it's just it's so early in the season, they don't know yeah. what they have yet. No, and they're right. trying to figure exactly out. It. They've got so many ta- talented players. And it's like, who do we need to rely on here? And, and once they figure that out, maybe they can settle in a little bit more. No, I, I, I agree. I agree with you. I, yeah, I wouldn't be worried at all if I'm an Ohio state fan. Um, you know, maybe you didn't cover, maybe you got the push and you're mad. Um, don't be mad for long because they're going to they're going to win you a lot of money this year. And I don't care what the numbers are going to be each week. Yeah, hopefully you got them at 13 and a half last week and not 14 and a half. It was bouncing back and forth the days before the game and even the, yeah, day I got, of the I, game. So, yeah. So, so how about this? I put together a 14 parlay of of Temple. They got canceled that night. Ohio State minus 14. Um, so that was a push. push. It, tur- it turned out and I hit the other two parts of the parlay. It turned out it was an $11 parlay to win 140 initially. It was 11 to win 40 bucks when all was said and done. <laughs> Gotta love it. Uh, Kentucky rolled up over 560 yards of offense, including 419 through the air in their week one win over Louisiana Monroe. New quarterback Will Levis was excellent as he completed 18 of 26 passes for 367 yards and four TDs with one interception. Chris Rodriguez had 125 yards and a TD in the run game. Josh Ali and Wandale Robinson each had over 100 yards receiving in the first half and combined for three touchdowns on the day. It was an impressive first showing for the Wildcats offense overall. Skinny, did Kentucky's performance against Louisiana Monroe give you any hope that this team could challenge Georgia for the SEC East? I don't know about challenge Georgia, but I do think they can beat Florida at home. I've said that all along. I think they can be the second best team in the East. And, and I think Will Levis can, can really help them to do it. Um, I think they kind of fell in love a little bit with the big play as that game went along and, and probably weren't really their true selves, which is hunkering down to run the ball. So I think you'll see that more probably this week against Missouri. But one thing is, I think they're going to run it successfully. Chris Rodriguez, as you mentioned, did have a good game and, and probably missed popping a couple of big runs where he got tripped up that usually he doesn't get tripped up. Um, and I think the more effective they are running the ball, the one thing that was really effective was play action passes. And yes. that's going to help them a ton. And then when you go play action, you've got Wandale Robinson who can absolutely fly. I, I, that was such a great get for him to come back to his home state from Nebraska. I thought he'd be a perfect fit with what they were going to do. And, and I won't say he exceeded my expectations, but that was kind of what I was hoping he would be. Um, and, and he is, I mean, he just can make some big plays and that's just what this team has lacked last couple of years they've lacked a big play quarterback to some degree they've lacked a big play receiver they've lacked an offense that was willing to do those kind of things so uh, i do I, i'm 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 excited what i see listen i'll, I'll temper with louisiana's terrible don't get me or they're louisiana monroe they're terrible um but kentucky also dominated them in every way shape and form and, and so that's what you're supposed to do against that opponent i i think they they will get to our betting segment in a bit i think they kill missouri this week too yeah, I mean, UK could have won that game 45-10 the last couple of years probably against Louisiana Monroe, but it would have looked differently. And Different, to yeah, me, that, that mattered. Right. Um, yes. Well, I'll eat the crow. I said last week that I didn't think they had much more upside than finishing third over Missouri potentially in the East. They are definitely going to challenge Florida for second in the East. And, I don't and, think there's and I'll any be honest, doubt. I, I think th- yeah, I think defensively they're great. I mean, uh, yes, I, I, they look great. Listen. The, the, the one touchdown that Monroe had was aided by uh, an interception on a pass, a slant, the first pass that Will Levis threw went off of Josh Ali's hands and was intercepted on a on a tip drill. And then they they had a silly penalty on a, on a made field goal that gave Monroe a first down, an automatic first down. They went almost three full quarters of football after that, allowing one 
yard of total offense. I mean, just dominated them. So, um, I, look, I'm not expecting to dominate SEC teams, but that's a good defense, man. That's a really good defense. And, and you told me about Wandale Robinson. You've been hyping him up in the preseason. I expected him to be good, but this is a guy unlike UK's really had. I mean, this takes right. me back to the Randall Cobb days, and he's no. maybe more talented than Randall oh, that's Cobb. Right. Yeah, no, as a, as a pure receiver, he probably is. Um, Randall Cobb could do so many things, though. Yeah. Obviously, you know, play quarterback when you need him to, go back and return punts when you need him to, uh, take an end around when you need him to. Uh, yeah, I, I think Wandell Robinson gives them a, a big play threat, and that then allows Josh Ali to be what he should be, a number two receiver, and a pretty good number two receiver. Problem was last year, last couple of years, he's been the only guy, and what a defense is going to do if you're the only guy, they're going to rotate a safety towards you, and you're not going to be able to do much down right. the field, and he didn't. And he's this not game, big he was able either. to get down the field because – no, because you got Wandale Robinson on the other side. So, yeah. no, I, I I was really impressed. I was more impressed with Will Levis than I thought I was going to be. In fact, my, my wife says we're watching the game. She goes, so how is this guy not starting at Penn State? And at that time, I actually turned over to the Penn State game, and, and, and Sean Clifford, the St. Xavier grad, was throwing a bomb for a touchdown. I said, because of that. <laughs> I said, sometimes it's just a matter of they like that guy better than this guy, but that doesn't mean this guy's bad. But I'll tell you what, he was he was more impressive than I expected him to be. Me too, especially with the way he pushed the ball downfield. UK yeah. just has not had that. And you brought no. up the key term, play action. Liam Cohen, the new offensive coordinator that came from the Rams, give him credit because I have wondered for the last several years, really, with Stoops and this UK offense being so about the run and being built off of run and defense, how could they not have an effective play action game? No, you're to right. That's right. Freeze defenses and throw the ball downfield occasionally. They they almost never did it in the past. And Levis goes out and does it, what, three or four times for yeah. big hits in this game. I mean, it was everything you wanted to see from a UK fan's perspective, I think. And, and you know, and they got a chance to play a bunch of guys, uh, play a second quarterback, Bo Allen. He led a touchdown drive in the fourth quarter, so you got a chance to do that. Um, so, yeah, it was it, it's an overreaction win to some degree, but it also gives me a lot of hope win to some degree, too. Yep, that's what we're doing here. We, we realize – we're fully overreacting to week one, but what else are you going to do after only one game? It was it was a fun week of football. I will say UK has never finished higher than eighth in the SEC in scoring under Stoops. I think that changes this year. I think it changes too. I'm with you. All right. UC took care of business against Miami 49-14 exactly as we expected. Both of Miami's TDs came in the fourth quarter against UC's backups, and one of them was a pick six against backup quarterback Evan Prater. They have an FCS opponent this week in Murray State. So I'm more interested really in your thoughts on their future opponents from week one. Indiana got smacked by Iowa 34 to 6. Notre Dame squeaked past Florida State in overtime 41-38. And UCF got a dramatic 36-31 win over Boise State that came down to the final plays. Skinny, what did you learn about UC's three toughest opponents this season in their week one performances? That, that UC is better, which I thought they were better all along. I think the unfortunate thing for the Indiana game now is it's not as big a scalp as you hoped it would be. Yeah. And thank good and thank goodness Notre Dame did win that game over Florida State because you want that scalp to be as big as it can be, and it still can be a good scalp. It still probably will be because it's still Notre Dame. I I don't think that's anything more than an eight-win Notre Dame team, maybe even seven-win Notre Dame team. But still, it's Notre Dame, and it's on the road. Um, I, I, and, and UCF was all out to come back to beat Boise. Congratulations to them for that. But they were also down, what, 21 points in that game. Or and neither of those teams to, looked to good. Winning it. No, I didn't think so either. I, the, the first half UC looked exactly like you think a national championship contending team should look. And yes, I realize that is only Miami of Ohio out there, but they flat dominated them in every way, shape or form. And kind of like the Will Levis, uh, I think the first, one of the first completions he had, if not the first was that deep ball to Josh Ali for a touchdown. 
I mean, how about Desmond Ritter's first throw of the year? My lands, that was perfectly thrown <laughs> that was 60 yards down the field. And then they decided the next couple of drives, let's just line up and smack you around and we'll run the ball. And listen, that's the thing. This defense we know is going to be great because of the personnel. Uh, this offense, I think, is more complete because of some guys on the outside who can get downfield and catch it because Desmond Ritter keeps evolving as a passer. I, I, I'm really high on that team. I, I And again, yes, we're overreacting probably, but I'm. I, they did exactly what if you think that's a national championship contender, that's why I heard some people that, that, that making predictions of Miami covering them. They're not going to cover. You got to be that, that for you. And I was the bet of the week. And it was, I went and made, I made a halftime. I, the halftime line was 13 and a half and I, I never sweated it. I mean, there was nothing to sweat. Yeah. I had, so, it I mean, 13 no, they, and a they, half. Looked, they looked exactly like I hoped. Yeah. I had it 13 and a half. I had it uh, at the 20 or 20 and a half, whatever it was. And I had it at, 29 because that was the highest they would let me adjust the line to wow. um, on Barstool. So I had them three or four different ways and they covered all of them. It was an absolute gift. We said it on the podcast last week. And uh, once I got to the sports book and I was actually putting in my bets, I was like, I can't get enough of this action. Like I could yeah. just keep betting this line over and over again and be happy. And, and part of the reason was that, that I, those that were predicting Miami to hang close excuse me that's a new year that's fine these they got so many returning guys that it's not a new year for it's a new year yes but they had too many returnees who are good returnees they were going to hit the ground running you see yeah and that really showed in the offense i think because yes. the defense was going to be good they're talented yes. it's easier to be ahead of schedule on defense but the passing game and the the cohesiveness between ritter and those receivers that that have improved that's that's where it really showed up i think yeah no agreed i i was extraordinarily impressed so now I'm in the position where I think Notre Dame is the only game that UC is not going to be favored in. I think Indiana getting smacked the way they did is a bad sign. I'm Penix, Michael Penix, uh, their quarterback, looked dreadful. Three interceptions in the game, two pick sixes. Yeah, really did not look good at all. And there were concerns last year. I mean, he made plays for them, and some of those were with his legs. Um, sometimes it was passing, but he never looked like a really good thrower of the football. He has kind of an awkward motion, kind of lofts the ball a little bit. I just don't know that that's going to work out, and I definitely don't think that's an offense that is going to carry Indiana to anything big in the Big Ten this year. So no, I, I'm with you on that. I think that's a game UC will now be favored in. Notre Dame didn't look dominant up front. I'm with you that, that they got the win, and it was huge, because if not, then all of a sudden UC really doesn't have that giant game on their schedule. Notre Dame would still be a nice win, obviously, but it's not nearly the same if Notre Dame already has a loss. And they only had 65 yards rushing in this game. I think that's probably the most positive takeaway for UC is that when you're playing a top 10 school or a, a powerhouse like Notre Dame that can recruit blue chippers, that's where you really worry about is getting dominated in the trenches. So they just have too many four or five yeah, star guys up front. And I don't think that's the case with this Notre Dame. I don't Dame think it is either. I don't think it is either. No, I, I think you got. Listen, Florida State gave them some gifts too before they switched quarterbacks. So some of that was gift related. Um, right. No, I, I think you're a UC fan. You you feel I, you got to be feeling pretty good. Your team's gonna run the table. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely feels more probable now than it did ahead of last week, and we already thought they had a chance. So. Yep. Yep. Well, from college football over to the big topic of conversation in college athletics in general this week, and that is realignment. Cincinnati. BYU, UCF, and Houston have all officially applied for Big 12 membership. Sources told every internet publication in existence on Wednesday. <laughs> the and they're supposed to vote, I think, on Friday anyway. So That's right. The Big 12 is expected to vote and accept those applications on Friday, which is merely a formality at this point. Skinny, what kind of impact do you think the move to the Big 12 will have on Cincinnati athletics? 
I think it's great. Um, and, and while this is always football driven, right. Those of us that live in this city that, that, that are basketball fans as well. Um, how can you not be more excited for this from a basketball perspective? Right. My goodness gracious. That's unbelievable. Uh, that, that's the, that, that's the big win for me. Listen again, this is all football related. We all know that, but from a basketball perspective, wow. You talk about a win-win here. Look, it just seems so crazy to think of Texas and Oklahoma just a few months ago bolting for, for, for the SEC because it, it looked for all the world like if they weren't going to shake things up again or if this crazy shakeup was going to happen, that the, the UC was not going to to be a, – a, a, it was not going to find a landing spot. Right. And voila, if the Big 12, to its credit, didn't say, listen, we're going to bolster ourselves so eventually when the musical chairs stop, we're going to have a quality league that's going to be part of the power five, or if it ever comes to it, the big four conferences that are left, um, we're going to be one of the four and, and UC has got a spot in that now. So yeah, I mean, it's, you, you couldn't be more excited if you're a UC, UC fan. I, I can imagine how excited it is. And like I said, from just from, look, we all look at it from football, but those that look at it from a basketball perspective, what, a, I mean, you get the national champion, you get one of the blue bloods in Kansas, you get Oklahoma state, which is pretty good. You get a, a rivalry now with hugs in West Virginia for as long as he still coaches there. And they've, they're relevant before hugs will be relevant after hugs too, but you still get a little bit of that. I mean, what, how good is that? Yeah, I mean Texas Tech has been pretty good in recent history. Texas uh, Tech, yeah, yeah. TCU yes, has yeah, had their yeah. moments, and then obviously Kansas State and Iowa State have been down a little bit, but they're not terrible programs. If that's the dregs of your conference, I mean, it's not yeah, USF. Kansas, Kansas State beat remember Kentucky. The Kansas State beat Kentucky. What was it three or four years ago to go to the Elite Eight? Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's a total lifeline for yes. UC athletics yeah. in general because you're right. I mean, as recently as this past year. You're, you'd be looking at that situation and think, UC's stuck. I mean, where where are they going to go? And then even once the, the realignment started moving, I don't think there was a ton of optimism that UC had a spot until the Big 12 seemed to figure this out. I mean, I I, I thought the Big 12 was going to collapse. It looked like too. they were going to get ate up by maybe the by Pac-12. The American. And or, then, by the Ameri- or, or something, get eaten up by the American. The American would be the one eating those teams up. Right. And I mean, that, that's such a, a drop off when you're talking about they're making about thirty five million per team in the Big 12. The Americans paying teams about seven million. Right. Huge I mean, difference. Yeah. It's just a totally different ball game. So and, and here and here's the other thing, too. If, if you had the fear of Luke Fickle leaving and I've not had that fear, I mean, I'm not a UC fan or a grad, obviously. So the fear, I don't have that fear. But if you had that fear. Listen, the only thing he's leaving for now is a blue blood job if it becomes open and they offer it to him. There, there's no he's not going to Nebraska now. I don't think he was going to Nebraska anyway. We talked about that, I think, on the podcast last week. I don't think he was going anyway. But if you had that irrational fear, that fear should be completely calm because now you can do a couple things here, too, with that money. You can keep Luke Fickle, keep paying him. He can now keep paying his assistants. You can upgrade your facilities more and more and more for whatever he wants. Um, you, this, this is this is this is a lifeline. Yeah, I know. I know he's talked about it before, having a football standalone facility where their offices and locker rooms and all that stuff at UC. And from what I understood, that was a big topic of conversation with all this realignment and everything, and something you know, kind of on UC's priority list. I think they've basically sold it to the Big Twelve as we're going to get that done for Luke, and we're going to continue to invest. The one thing I just don't know is where are they going to put stuff. Like they are just that's, that's so good landlocked. That's a good call too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but I mean, it just, this is fun. It's fun. There's, it's better games. You see in the AAC and Xavier in the A10, if you want to make the, the local comparison, it's stunk. Like, yeah, you get to win a lot, but you play your non-conference games 
And then you become irrelevant and out of the public eye right. and, and the national conversation for a few months until it comes tournament time again. And it was like, you know, Xavier and the A-10, it was always the same thing. It's like they play a couple big non-conference games. You hear about them. They disappear through A-10. And then when you get close to tournament time, everyone just says the same story. Oh, Xavier's always there at tournament time. They're, they're a tough out. But no one is actually talking about them or the team or or what they're like this year. And I felt like it was getting to become the same thing for UC in the AAC. Like they're playing Tulane in South Florida. And, you know, football's a little bit different. But even then, like everyone's just waiting until playoff time and talk about them not being able to get in and getting squeezed out. So uh, this is just so much more fun to be part of the the national conversation on a weekly basis in football and even more so in basketball. From a basketball perspective, this is probably number two overall conference, I would say. And it it could Uh, compete for number one occasionally. Yes, correct. I mean, it is a loaded basketball conference. It's going to be a lot of fun for UC fans. Now, the one thing I will point out about this, and I've brought it up to Xavier fans after they made the move to the Big East, and I've brought it up to UC fans since they've been in the AAC and have complained about being in that conference is be careful what you wish for to a certain extent. I mean, 2020, you go 7-5 and five in your non-conference in basketball, you lose to Bowling Green and Colgate, you're 13-5 and five in the AAC, and you get the one seed in your conference tournament. That ain't going to happen anymore. No, that's a fact. Like You're not going to be competing for, for titles in your down years in the new Big 12. And the other thing is, for whatever reason, Kansas usually owns the Big 12 tournament, right? Yeah. Well, and the regular season. And the regular matter, season. But, yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. I mean, but in football, last three years, you go 11-2, 11-3, 9-1 under Luke Fickle. You're going to probably do something like that or better this year. But you think you're going 11-1 or 11-2, 11-3 when you're playing a, a Baylor, a West Virginia, and Oklahoma State, you know, like some of the TCUs. You're, 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 you're not, but here's the thing, though, Rick. The, the one thing I will say is when they expand the playoffs and they're going to expand the playoffs, you can get in with two losses now. Right now, we're talking about UC has to run the table just to get a sniff at the playoffs. In this case, yeah, you can lose a couple games and still make it. Uh, I mean, maybe. I mean, can Iowa State lose a couple games and still make it this not, year? Not now. I'm talking about when, the, when this playoffs expand. When we get to whatever the, the, the eight or 12 team playoff is, you're going to have multiple two loss teams in True. there. True. Yeah, that, that's a, that's yeah, a good I'm, point. Yeah, yeah, I'm not talking about right now. I mean, yeah, no, no, a two-loss Iowa State is not making it right now. But a two-loss Iowa State in an expanded playoff, if they, if they finish first and or second in the Big 12, they're in the conversation. Yeah, if they go to 12 teams, you're right. And, and so, I mean, and, and certainly gives UC the chance to compete for it all now. You know, I mean, they really, as much as we're talking about it this year, this is kind of anomaly, and it's one time. Most years, UC will not be in the national championship conversation or uh, the college football conversation. So this move gives them that opportunity and it may not be as consistent as what they're enjoying now in terms of their success. But when you have that chance, it's going to be a heck of a lot more fun. Exactly right. Let's uh, wrap up some Reds talk. And we got a little bit of college basketball recruiting. We'll slip in here before we get into our betting segment, a three run Homer by Jason Hayward of the Cubs in the bottom of the 10th inning took the Reds down four to one on Wednesday at Wrigley Why field. Is Brad Brock pitching. Why the loss marked Cincinnati's fifth consecutive series loss and fourth to a sub 500 team. The Reds have lost four of six to Chicago since the Cubs trade off every player with any value at all in a fire sale. And we've talked a lot about the Reds' week schedule down the stretch of the season. Skinny, why can't the Reds beat these weak teams? The offense just can't get it going, man. Not on a consistent basis. And, you know, it feels like Jesse Winker's been out for so long. Um, you know, they, they just they just can't get enough things going consistently. When you're still having to plug Eugenio Suarez in the lineup 
and you got fat Cabrera trying to play first base because you want to put all right-handed bats in the game. It's just that that does not bode well down the stretch. Unfortunately, it, we're too late in the game for Suarez to bounce out of this. Right. Right. Um, you, know, you, just, you just have a, you just got a lot of hit or miss guys in that lineup, man. And unfortunately you, you are, you, you don't have enough consistent performers. Look, I, I, I think I, call, I called you last night because I was looking up the last time Joey Votto had homered um, actually as he was homering last night, but he had gone 16 games without a homer. Um, so, you know, he kind of hit a slide there. And that some of that is, you know, older guy late in the season. Is that caught up to him? Maybe, um, you know, is Jonathan India starting to wear down a little bit? I mean, the guy's played a bunch of games through injury. He's in the lineup every day and I get all of that and I put him there too because he's great. But listen, this is a rookie who's, uh, big 162 will get you eventually. And, and that's my fear is they've just kind of worn down offensively. The good news is you're still only a game out with still that soft schedule and still San Diego having to play a difficult schedule. So it's not hopeless by any stretch. And there's still 21 or 22 games left. But I just wonder what's going to put the life back into this offense at this point. Well, no, that's that's the big thing. I mean, they're very fortunate right now that the Padres stink, the Phillies stink, the Mets stink, the Cardinals stink. I mean, really... Since the second half of the season started, none of those teams have made right. much of a run or been very good. So, I mean, the Reds are very fortunate to be still right where they've been pretty much this whole time. They haven't lost much ground despite their struggles. Uh, Lance McAllister tweeted this out last night. He said, on Wednesday, the Reds scored one run for the fifth time in their last 11 games and the ninth time in their last 24 games. That's scoring one run only That's for the entire brutal. game. I mean, you mentioned the offensive struggles and – that's that's the thing to me. It's not it's not just not getting a big hit to to win a four three ball game. It's giving yourself no chance and your pitchers no chance when you've got a bad bullpen already by only scoring one run. I mean that's and, and, and the thing is always frustrating. Yeah, the thing that always frustrates me is I just I'm so sick of feast or famine baseball. Go manufacture a couple of runs early in the game. I don't care how you got a man. And honestly, if it means you got to bunt somebody, by God, bunt somebody. Stop sitting back and waiting for the three run home run when you're slumping. It's not coming. It might be coming when you're going good for a week or two, but it's not coming right now. So how about we manufacture something? How about we hit and run sometimes? How about first and second, nobody out, and, and your, your number seven hitter who can't hit is up? How about bunt him over for the eight guy? And yeah, I know the pitcher's on deck and they can walk him out. I don't care. That's fine. Then we turn the lineup over again. Um, do something to manufacture a run, please. I think there are two guys that I'm looking at right now. You know, Winker, when he comes back, is obviously a big one. But two yes. other guys that are in the lineup right now that I look for for a little bit of hope. One is Moustakis. The other is Vada that you mentioned. If either one of those guys could somehow get it going, and there's reason to believe they can. Vado's had a great year. He's just hit a, a lull recently. And Moustakis but, but, is back. But the, lull, but the lull makes me wonder, is it an older guy who just is wearing down? And that's understandable. And it very well could be. But there's there's enough reason to believe with the way he's swung the bat want, this year that he could I, bounce back. I want more Tyler him. Stevenson. I want I want more Tyler Stevenson. Well, that's that's a good point, too. I mean, Moustakis, though, as well, is a guy who has struggled since he came back from injury, got off to a little slow start. It seems like he's been swinging the bat a little bit better recently, at least putting some good swings on some balls. He's hit a couple yeah. out. You know, again, he looked out of shape when he came back, maybe starting to work himself back into shape. So hopefully the Reds will finally get something out of him as they head down the stretch. But it hasn't been great recently. No, but again, the good part is you still have that soft schedule. Padres still have a difficult schedule and there's only one game in between the two teams. All right. So we'll wrap up with this before we get to our betting sec segment. Shaden Sharp, the number one prospect in the ESPN class of 2022, 
has committed to Kentucky's basketball team. Sharp is a consensus top five player in the class, according to every recruiting service. The 6'5 shooting guard is known as a big-time scorer with length and athleticism. He chose UK over Arizona, Kansas, Oklahoma State, and the G League Ignite team. He joins five-star point guard Sky Clark as the second commit in what's shaping up to be a very talented 2022 class for Kentucky and John Calipari. Skinny, what are your thoughts on the 2022 class Coach Cal is putting together? It seems to be a pretty good one, and this guy this guy looks like a man already. They list him at 6'5", 185, but if you see a couple pictures of him, I mean, he looks – he's got some pretty good-sized arms on him. He just – he's got that basketball player look to him for whatever reason, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're, 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 it's one of those things where we talked about Cal has just not been able to land those elite of the elite. Um, you know, I, I think this has taken him and Sky Clark have taken them up to what top 10, I'm going to guess in recruiting classes somewhere there, maybe yeah. even top five. Yeah. I think they're, I think they're think. eighth right now, oh, according to 24 seven. Okay. Eighth. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So eighth. So yeah, I was close. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of how, how, how and, and I think the other thing Cal is going to do is he is going to continue to win the transfer portal. I really believe that you started mixing some classes with that. And he's changed some of the things he's, you know, talked at least he's at least talked about changing some of the things he wants to do offensively. Well, okay, then then let's see it. And obviously, he still can get guys. So, you know, maybe last year was simply a bad, bad, ugly blip on the radar that UK fans will quickly forget because he'll quickly put it behind them. I have a theory. All right. I think Coach Cal is re-energized. You know why? Kay and Roy are Because he had the shot out. and he had COVID? No, I think Kay and Roy <laughs> getting out have re-energized do you re- him. Do you really? I do. I Because I, there are no clear elite coaches to really challenge him in terms of recruiting right now. Think about it. Who's who's the top Bill, challenger Bill right Self. now? Penny Hardaway? Bill, Bill, Bill Self. Well, but Bill Self hasn't had a top five class in the last couple of years. I mean, like, I, I agree Bill Self is the one elite coach that's left, but from a recruiting well, perspective. And, 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 maybe, and maybe he's been tied so much to the cheating scandals that maybe that, that that's hindered Bill Self at this point. Well, and maybe he had to stop cheating so much, so that's why he hasn't had number well, one classes no, in a while. No, no, and, and that might be fair. I mean, right or wrong, and you know me, I, I'm not a Cal fan, but he, he he's not implicated in that stuff, so he's still kind of clear and free to go. Yeah, I'll tell you what, the guy I think is the biggest competition to Cal right now from a recruiting perspective is Mark Few at Gonzaga. That's, yeah, I, I mean, mean he, he the, lands elite guys. Yeah, the the last two years, it's probably be it's probably been Penny Hardaway with what he's done in the last two classes, but I don't think Obvious Penny, Penny can't coach. Well, there's that. There's the fact that he may never actually win at Memphis. And there's the other fact that Memphis just took another massive, massive hit in terms of their conference situation because they got right. left out of all point. this realignment. They're all left yeah, over right. in the AAC now. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they're probably the biggest loser of all from all this new conference realignment stuff going on. So I can't imagine that's going to help Penny in the, in the recruiting game. And as you pointed out, he has to win at some point to keep getting these right. guys. You would think that's right. Yeah, no, exactly. So, so no, I really believe, I think I felt Cal was kind of, it almost seemed like he was winding down. It seemed like he was become, you know, he's saying some weird things in the media where he seemed like he was getting frustrated with things. And I was like, man, I don't know how much longer this guy has left. And then all of a sudden this past year with the transfer portal and, uh, this offseason, he's obviously been recruiting really well, and he just seems like he's got a positive outlook going again. I legitimately believe he's been re-energized by Kay and Roy getting out because I think he knows he's going to dominate the recruiting again. Yeah, no, I, I, that's, I, I like your theory. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm all in on it, so we'll see what happens. All right, let's get to our betting segment where it was a great week for you. You went 6-0, and you hit your three-team uh, teaser that you gave out. Yeah. 
So if people followed you, they made some good money last week. I was five and one. Uh, Iowa State cost me my, my teaser by only beating Northern Iowa by six. So it really wasn't even close. Thursday night, NFL, 820. We got the Cowboys at Tampa Bay playing the Bucks. The Buccaneers are eight and a half point favorites. The total is 51. I'm all in on Tampa here. I, I think with 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 just the energy of of coming off the Super Bowl and the crowd and having everybody back intact. And the fact that, listen, I, I, I'm i glad Dak Prescott's back. It, it was a horrific injury, um, but that defense still sucks. Um, so it's great for them that Dak is back. They're going to put up some points in this game, but they're not going to match Tom Brady's point in that, in that offense. I'm going to go Tampa. I think Tampa smokes them. I'll go Tampa 41-21. 41-21. Tampa in the over for me. Yeah, so you're going Tampa and the over 41-21. I've got Tampa Bay to win this one as well and cover the spread. But I'm going to go under. I'm thinking this is actually going to be a little bit more low scoring. I'm going to go uh, 27 to 13 here. Oh, wow. 27 to 13 Buccaneers. The total has gone under. The total has gone under the last five times these two teams played. And also Super Bowl champions are 13, four and three against the spread in week one, the year after winning the title over the last 20 years. So and usually, usually I think in a bunch of those games, they've the bunch of the ones that, that are on the winning side of that, they've smoked the opposition. That's that's right. So Saturday over to the college side, starting at noon, we've got Oregon at Ohio state, kind of a big game on this week's slate. The Buckeyes are a 14 and a half point favorite as of this morning on DraftKings. That's changed from where it was at yesterday at 14 don't love the hook there, but I still think Ohio State probably covers it. Uh, the total is 63 and a half. I don't love the hook there either. And, and listen, uh, you know, I know Oregon got by the skin of their teeth. Fresno is actually pretty good. They went 31-24 after being down, but they also gave up 24 to Fresno too. I, I think Ohio State, I'm telling you, they're hanging a half a hundred on almost everybody. I think they hang, hang a half a hundred here on Oregon. I'll go Ohio State 51-24. So Ohio State uh, and the over for me. We're on the same side of this one. I've got OSU in the over as well. I was a little more conservative on Ohio State's total. I went 41-24 Ohio State. So both of us, Ohio State and the over there. Saturday at noon, we've got Miami of Ohio at Minnesota. The Gophers are a 20-point favorite. The total is 53 in the hook. I thought Minnesota, I mean, they did just about everything in that Ohio State game to, to, to make Ohio State fans squirm and, and make them nervous. And I think, again, some of that was Minnesota related. You got a veteran quarterback before the Ibrahim kid got hurt. They were running the ball effectively. Um, he's out for the season. But I think some of that also you point to the offensive line saying, hey, they ran the ball effectively because of them. Miami just did not look good defensively at all. Um, they were completely overmatched by UC. I think they're completely overmatched here. I'll, I'll go Minnesota 41 41 so I'm going Minnesota and the over. All right. Well, that the 14 changes a bit. I had 41-10, so very similar there, but it puts me on the under and you on the over there. But I agree. I mean, Minnesota, I think they were playing like eight or nine offensive linemen at times. It looked like yes. on yeah. they didn't have anyone yeah. out wide. They're just stacking up a bunch of offensive linemen and running the football. But they gave Ohio State some trouble. Ohio State had trouble setting the edge and keeping contain and uh, Minnesota ran the ball effectively. And then Tanner Morgan being a fifth year guy, he, I mean, he was accurate and came up with the big passes when they needed it most. They, they're not throwing the ball all over the place, but when they needed him to, he came up big in that Ohio state game. I think this Minnesota team is pretty decent and certainly going to roll over Miami. I, again, I think that's an, a gift just as much as the UC line too. was last yeah, week. I, 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 I think I do that's too. automatic. 
Uh, Saturday, 7.30 p.m., we've got Missouri at Kentucky. The Wildcats are a five-point favorite. The total is 56 on the hook. Missouri gave up 457 yards to Central Michigan. Let that sink in for a second. Gross. Uh, one of the ugliest losses for Kentucky last year was to Missouri. I think they owe them for payback. I, I think that this Kentucky team is going to come in with a ton of confidence, play with a ton of confidence. I think they're better than Missouri. If they played 10 times, I think Kentucky beats them all 10. Um, I'm going to go Kentucky 41, Missouri 17. I, I can't buy this lineup high enough. I'm, 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 I'm trying to find plays. I, I've got them in a reverse teaser already up lane 11. I may, I may try to bet them where, where I can set my line and get a, get plus odds back. Kind of like you did with that UC line. Yeah, I, I maybe maybe I'm irrational as a Kentucky fan and a Kentucky grad, so I need to have to admit that straight up. If nobody knows that by now, um, my fandom sometimes takes over. But I also try to be logical because I am putting money on the line. Um, I, I just think Kentucky rolls Missouri here. I like the confidence a lot. I like Kentucky in this game too. I think they cover. I'm not quite as confident as you are. I'm going Kentucky 31, Missouri 21. So that's Kentucky and the under there for me, but. I'm with you. I mean, I think this is it's a big game for Kentucky, first of all, just from a where you finish in the standings point of view. But also this offense with what we saw last week, I'd love to see them keep it going. So, you know, if they pile 40 points on again, I think they've really got something cooking there. So I hope you're right. Sunday, 1 p.m. We've got Vikings in Cincinnati playing the Bengals. Vikings are a three point favorite. The total is 47. This is a tough one because I, I think Minnesota is a playoff caliber team, but I'm going to give the Bengals. I'm going to go barely under here. I'm going to go Bengals. No, I'm going to go over. I'm going to go Bengals 26, 24 Evan McPherson from 55 yards at the gun. <laughs> okay. I like it. I like it. So you got Bengals and, the, and over the over. Here. Yes. Evan McPherson, 55 yards is his fourth field goal of the day. His third from 50 plus. We crown him the new Justin Tucker of the NFL in week one. <laughs> okay, I'm with it. Uh, the, here's the thing, though. I keep telling everybody about the Bengals kicker situation. I don't know how good the Bengals kicker is until there's like a 35-yarder with the game on the line. No no doubt. That's, 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 that's no, where the right. Bengals screw up. It's not, you know, it's not the 54-yarder at the end of the half. It's the easy kicks with the game on the line that the Bengals screw up typically. So All, all I saw is this kid drill kick after kick after kick right down the middle all camp. He looks like a stud. Long, I mean, preseason game ones. He does. That, I mean, that long yeah, one would have been got good from fifth or from sixty-five. Oh, yeah, no question. He thumped that one. It landed in the freaking net. It was impressive. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm gonna if I'm gonna I'm gonna go Evan McPherson fifty-five yards at the gun for a twenty-six twenty-four Bengals win. So Bengals outright. You don't even need the three, although you like the three um, and the over. I've got Vikings 31, Bengals 24. So that's Vikings and the over. Minnesota games were 7, 1, and 1 to the over when they were a favorite last year. Interesting number. I like that. So yeah, I, I don't so think a lot of over, at least agree on that part of it. I don't think a lot of people would think that given their coach, but they were they were an over team last year, especially when they were favored. Sunday at 820, we've got the Bears at the Rams. The Rams are a seven and a half point favorite, and the total is 46 on the hook. Yeah, I think this is low scoring, so I'm going to take the seven and a half. I'm going to go Rams, Rams 19-17 over the Bears in this one. I think the Bears hold them to some field goals, but the Rams still able to win. So I'm going to take Chicago plus the points and the under. I like the under as well here, but I'm on the Rams definitely. I think the Bears are not very good at all. Their quarterback situation is in flux. I don't think the locker room necessarily agrees with the decision. Um, Andy Dalton, by the way, maybe the most relevant stat here, is 
nine and 14 against the spread in game starting at 7 p.m. Eastern or later. Primetime Andy. He is one and five against the spread and oh and six outright in Sunday night game. So afternoon, Andy will uh, likely strike again. I think the the Rams take care of business there in primetime. So I got Rams and the under. Uh, Monday night, 8.15 p.m., we've got the Ravens at the Raiders. The Ravens are a four-point favorite, and 50 and a half is the total. Yeah, I like the over a lot here. I'm, I'm going to go Baltimore 31-27, so the number comes into play for me with Vegas getting the four and a half. So I got Vegas and the over. Vegas and the over. I like the over a lot here, too. I'm going Ravens 35, Raiders 24, so I've got Ravens and the over a couple things on Baltimore here. The Ravens have covered in week one in five straight seasons. And Lamar Jackson is 13, three and two against the spread in his career on the road. He's also six and two outright and against the spread in primetime games in the regular season. So uh, me some numbers there that, that, that make me make me waver, but I'm going to stick with my with my pick. Love Lamar in primetime there. So that's that's it. Do you have your teaser set up? Ready to go. I do. I do. I do. I got a, I got an NFL one here for you. I'm, I'm going to hit you with a four team teaser, four team NFL teaser, six, six point. I'll go six and a half points. So I'm going to take Buffalo down to even against Pittsburgh at home. That's one of it. I'm going to take um, Kansas City down to even at home. They're laying six against Cleveland. I'm going to take, believe it or not, the New York Giants up to nine and a half. And I'm going to take New Orleans up to ten and a half. So that's my four team teaser of the week. All right. I think I am going to keep it simple here and go back to our college slate and just do the reverse teaser that we brought up. I think I'm just going to go Minnesota, Kentucky, reverse teaser and leave it there. Simple as that. Plus six. So uh, that would mean Minnesota at minus 26 and Kentucky at minus 11. Okay. I've got that. I've got that as a part of a 14 reverse teaser I've got going. So, okay. I like it. Into our Ask Any Anything segment. And I just got one that came through on Twitter. I don't know if you've seen this yet, but uh, Pro Football Talk just put out a story that says Jamar Chase, semicolon, NFL ball is harder to catch than NCAA ball. Harder to see without the white stripes. He did say that. I was I, I, I listened to that press conference. What are your thoughts, if any, on that? I, I think he was on, being honest, to be quite frank. I, I really do. Um He talked about the ball being a little bit bigger and just, I don't think it was an excuse. He was, he was trying to explain a couple of things of why he's struggling. He even, one of the things he even said to Rick is, is, is listen, my job is to catch the ball period. End of story. That's my job. So he fully understands it, but I think he was trying to explain, listen, I'm trying to adjust to a new football. And and I think there's something to that. I think he was being completely honest with that. And and I'm surprised they're coming out with the story. Now that was three days ago. He said it, he said it on Monday for goodness sakes. And I wrote about it. I think everybody else wrote about it. So I don't know where they've been other than, I guess they didn't cheat to take our stuff earlier. Like they always do. That's why pro football talk is a garbage site anyway, but, but neither here nor there. So no, I, 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 I think it's, I, I, I Mike Florio is a, is a douche. Um, yeah, I, I think he was just being truthful. And, and I think that's probably part of the problem in the world anymore is, is, is you get this situation and everybody wants to jump on Jamar chase and, and and say you're making excuses and what a, listen i think the guy was just trying to answer a question i really do well along those same lines that takes us into what was originally going to be my first topic here for asking anything uh someone asked us about the brian kelly comments want to know if he was out of line in 2021 making his post-game comments if you didn't hear it he said i'm in favor of execution maybe our entire team needs to be executed tonight he was trying to make a john mckay joke he butchered it incredibly it came out very awkward. What were your thoughts on Brian Kelly's? 
Yeah, I, 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 I've used. I love that John McKay quote. He was. It go, it's up. It's on YouTube. It's. I've, I've known that quote for a long time. And Brian's right. He he was trying to be funny. It didn't come out funny, and that's all it was. And I, I think I think he even said this at the time. He goes, "If you want to take me to task for that, fine, go ahead." I'm kind of with Brian. I'm not a big Brian Kelly guy either. I mean, he all did kill a kid on a scissor lift for goodness sakes. But um, yeah, you know, you might think about that before you make the execution jokes. Yeah, uh, but it, it is a John McKay line from the '70s when he was coaching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and they went 26 straight games without winning. Um, he had a bunch of funny lines like that. Um, so yeah, I think he was trying to be funny. It wasn't all that funny people that are my age got the joke. Probably nobody else that remember John McKay. Probably you, you only remember John McKay through probably pictures and maybe an occasional video. I mean, I was old enough to watch him coach the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I get it. I, I think, again, it's an overreaction from everybody. Yeah, so there was like the big thing about, I can't believe people are offended or how could you be offended by this? Like, hold on. I think some people are missing the point about the younger generation. I don't think anyone's... Well, for the most part, I don't think most people are offended by like the notion that he said his team needed to be executed. No one really thought he wanted to have his team killed or anything like that. I think we were offended by how poorly he pulled off the joke. Like I had heard that John McKay line. I didn't know that's what he was going for, because the way the line works is you get asked about execution. You don't bring it up yourself. Right. That's, that, he, he was no, asked that's, about yeah. giving up points in the fourth quarter. And he goes, uh, uh, execution. Uh, what do I think about execution? Uh, I'm in favor of it. I think we yeah. should all be executed. It's like, dude. I'm offended at how bad you are at telling jokes and the fact that you're and, so and, unfunny. And and to his, he admitted that he said, listen, I, I didn't pull it, pull it off very well. I, I, and he didn't, I'll give you that. Maybe have an ounce of I, self-awareness would be offended. my thing. You're not, Maybe. you're Maybe. not Mike Leach. You know what I mean? You are, well, fr- you are did, the guy who killed a kid in a scissor lift because you thought it was that important to film practice. Just be football guy. Yes. Yeah. Did you see Mike Leach's rambling post game thing too? I mean, God, which one? It seems like no, it happens no, every time he takes a microphone. I, I still try to figure out what he, I, it was a bunch of gibberish. I thought there was something medically wrong with the guy. I missed that one. But yeah, it was it, I, I, saw, I caught it on on after the, it was he was doing it down on the field after the game. But Mike like they Leach put, could say anything and it wouldn't, could. you know, it wouldn't bother anyone or shake them up. Like people no. were thrown off by this because it was weird. It's Brian Kelly isn't a guy who usually makes funny jokes in general. So I'm just trying to like go off the cuff and do this was not normal. And it sounded stupid. It wasn't, he didn't, he didn't pull it off well at all. That's not how the joke works. You know I mean? Let's yeah. say what made the joke was the idea that you get asked the question. And, and, that, and that was, that was why it was so good. And, and John yeah. McKay was so deadpan with the answer when I, I think the question was literally, how what do you, you think, think of team, execution? And he or, said, or I'm in favor how did your team that? Yeah. I'm in favor of it. It was great. Yeah. And it's a hilarious line. Like I I've heard that a bunch and it's funny in that manner when you get asked about it, but like you don't bring up execution yourself and then say, I'm in favor. I want to execute my whole team. It's like, what? That, that was weird. So, yeah, I, I don't think anyone. Well, I shouldn't say anyone because there are crazy people out there, but I don't think most people were offended by like, oh, it's so over the top and he wants to kill his players or it's mean to them. I think it was that was really unfunny and awkward. <laughs> that's why that's why people were bothered by it. Yeah. All right. Someone said whose performance this season more closely resembles the overall number three draft pick Mac Jones or Trey Lance. I guess that just means which who's going to be better between those two. Right. Yeah, I, I'm 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 intrigued enough with with Bill Belichick going with Mac Jones. Is it him going with Mac Jones as much, or is it him just saying I've had enough of Cam not knowing what he's doing, and 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 Cam with the COVID stuff? I mean, I honestly is that why Mac Jones won the job, or did Mac Jones win the job because Mac Jones won the job? Right? I'm I'm intrigued by that. I, I think it's the latter. I do, and if that's the case, I'm I'm in the Mac Jones camp at this point. I'm in the Mac Jones camp too. 
I think that is the case. I and, think he and, won and, the job. And, listen, and, and I think Jimmy G is going to start in Frisco. I, I know they're playing this whole game right now yeah. of, of who is it going to be. It's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. It's going to be. And maybe they find a way to get Trey Lance some snaps. I think for them, the best case scenario is Jimmy Garoppolo is still the guy they, they had in 2019. Um, that, that helped them get to a Super Bowl and Trey Lance can just be nurtured along s- slowly as a project coming from a smaller college. I believe that. I think he's got a lot of talent. Don't get me wrong. I mean, a couple of the preseason games I watched, dude's got some arm talent to him. No question about that. Definitely. But, y- you know, I don't think you're having Trey Lance hit the ground running for what you think is a playoff team. You're going to go with the veteran. No, I couldn't agree more with that. And on the Bill Belichick side of things, I think Mac Jones legitimately won the job. And I think part of the reason he won the job is because Bill Belichick sees a future there. I think with Cam, it was always kind of a stopgap situation. It was not really fitting what Bill Belichick wants to do. It was a way to stay competitive in the immediate term after you lost Tom Brady. But I don't think he saw that ever being, you know, the quarterback of the next couple of years or anything. So as soon as he had a guy that I think he felt there was some type of future with, he was ready to move on yeah. from Cam. And at that point, you can't have Cam in the locker room. One, no, that's because right. he's a weird goofball. Right. No, and I'll then two, that. because you don't want any of the other players in the locker room who may like Cam. Because by the way, I've never heard teammates say anything bad about Cam Newton. They no, all seem to I, love I, him. The, yeah, there, there was a story though that, that uh, and again, this was after the fact they let Cam Newton go. And sometimes this happens that Mac Jones was having to teach Cam Newton the playbook. That, well, I don't doubt that look. at all. That, that That's not a good look. Yeah, I, that doesn't surprise me. But that being said, I think most players that play with Cam either like him as a friend or think he's a special talent because of who he was and kind of the aura of Cam Newton from Auburn and, 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 and everything. I, and, and I told you this last year, I thought he was done. I, I did. I mean, he I just thought he, and, and I said it before last year, I know you were in kind of the Cam camp. I listen, when he was magical at one point in his career, he was, I mean, he, he was unstoppable as in, in every way, shape and form, but eventually he just, he just get beat up, man. And it just, it, it get, gets you out. That's my fear. Eventually here in a couple of years, we're going to be talking to Lamar Jackson in those same, same terms. Um, so yeah, I, I thought Cam was washed up when he went to New England and he looked at last year and hence he kind of is washed up. Yeah. I still think New England made the right call to take him last year. I don't think they were going to do better than Cam Newton for that I, year. I, I, yeah, I don't either. I just didn't think that 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 he was going to provide them enough to make them a playoff right. team. I, and, I'm and with you on that. And he didn't. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. He didn't. And and so I mean th- this was to me, this was kind of always the plan for them, and they executed exactly how you would expect yeah. Belichick and the and the Patriots to execute. I mean, it, it looks like it's working out great. Now we'll see how Mac Jones does. He still has to yeah. prove himself, but and I still I, I don't think they're a playoff team this year either. Yeah, I, I don't know about that either. I, I would have my doubts for sure. Uh, what music is Young Skinny listening to pregame? I put music in there so he couldn't respond with something like my coach. <laughs> good. Um, back back in the day, I would I would I was a, I kind of liked a lot of genres. I mean, because I was a Rolling Stones guy. I I liked um, I liked some disco stuff back in the day. What was so, your pump up music? Like, what's the one or two or three songs that you're like definitely listen to before game time? Um, the, 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 the Hollywood swinging from back in the day with cool in the gang. <laughs> nice. D- d- you didn't have, like, you guys didn't have Walkmans that guys were wearing before games or anything for warmups, no, right? It wasn't like no, today where no, everyone's got no, a no. pair of beats or something. In yes. There. Yeah. No, no, we did. We did not have that. You, you, I don't even remember if we had much locker room music for that matter, or even music on the bus. <laughs> you were, guys, guys, guys were just getting locked in and listening to the coach. Nah, guys were just talking. There was a lot. There was a lot of. There was a lot of girl and in, in, in drug talk in the back of the bus. <laughs> girl and drug talk. Nothing like high school. Nope. That's exactly <laughs> it, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, which song is at the top of Skinny's playlist, and why? The Bengals' Bengals growl or the Reds' Cincinnati, Ohio? 
Cincinnati, Ohio, Cincinnati. I'm a Bengal growl guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's so campy. Uh, my friend Jay Morrison wrote a nice piece on that, uh, on the origination of that song and the evolution of that song for the that athletic. Was good. It, it, I, I thought it was outstanding. Yeah. He, he had told me about uh, writing it and some of the people he'd talked to. And I, I tried to hook him up. I, I gave him a book that had a little bit of background in history. And I think he, I think he already knew some of the stuff I gave, but I, I knew he was writing that piece. And, and I, when I got a chance to read, I thought it was great. Run so, yeah, pass I, I, it's Bengal route for me. It's just, so, yep. Offensive brute and defensively he's rough, mm, tough. Mm. Yep. Then, I, I'm, you, I'm with you on that. And, one. And, and then you get that, that campy trumpet in there where it's a <laughs> defensively he's rough tough. i'm going to i'm going to cut that out and save that as a drop the oh, you your should. trumpet yes. sound that's so we just put that in there all right that's Cincinnati all i got Bengals, that's the team we're gonna cheer to victory touchdown, touchdown Bengals. Bengals. put some points, put some up, points up, up on the board, board and win the game, game for cincinnati, cincinnati. Game for cincinnati. <laughs> there was that's it. All right, for Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us on this special edition, special ending of the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. <laughs>